1: Uh, I might jump out of my helmet It's no cool, it's no time to be cool Coach Reed, preach, let your personality show And uh, I'll be full blasted
0: Excited about this week Fired up, our guys are excited To be back here at uh, at Arrowhead Stadium Home opener Get uh, the fans going Right back in the kingdom Right where we need to be With that said, (laughs) I'm all ears Hey,
2: welcome back. It is Arrowhead Pride Presents show in BK on the Chiefs. It is myself, BK, along with Steven Serta this week. We're on the show. Hugh is nowhere to be found. We can't find him. We don't know where he is. I think he is racing somebody from the Texans. I can't confirm that, but I'm pretty sure that's what's taking place right now. He's taking time away from the podcast that he's paid to do to go race an employee from the Texans. So that's all well and good.
1: But we've got Serta filling in tonight. How you doing, Serta? I'm fantastic. I am so ready for NFL regular season football. And yeah, I believe Ron the Show Hughley, uh, it really speaks to the Texans as an organization. He's been trying to race Nick Casario for months. And week one of the NFL season, they decided to go to some desolate desert island completely off the map. Nobody knows where they're at. To, to do this race. uh, So yeah, it's, he's just out week one. We had no idea where Rod, the show Hughley's at
2: the, the Texans tried to end training camp early and now they're just ending their season and they're just, they're going to have the, the winner of this race that predicts the end of season result for the Texans. That's what they're going to do. So we've got a good show for you, regardless of whether or not Ron is going to be here. We're giving you the three players to watch on offense, three players to watch on defense as well. Huge game for the Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. It's not technically a national game, but it more or less is a national game on CBS. It'll be a 325 kickoff. Uh, So we've got a lot of preview for you today, but we've got to start with kind of the news of the day, and that is that the Chiefs have no idea... If Tyron Matthew is going to be available for them on Sunday against the Browns. And Serto, we've talked about this, God only knows how many times during the offseason. Tyron Matthew is one of the most important players on this football team, regardless of if we're talking offense or defense. You can, if you're looking at the defensive side of the ball specifically, I think it's an argument between him or Chris Jones, but you can make a strong argument that tyron matthews the guy that makes this defense goes if he's not able to play on sunday because of covid going up against this team in particular i mean that hurts you in the passing game it hurts you in the running game it makes you less versatile that's a big blow defensively going into this one against the
1: browns yeah and You know, he's looking for a new contract. And obviously, there's nothing you can do in this COVID world when you test positive, especially if you've taken the precaution of being vaccinated. Like, you just got to go through it. And we'll get an update from the Chiefs uh, later in the afternoon today when Andy Reid gives his final injury report ahead of week one against the Browns, but outside of Chris Jones, there's no other defensive player uh, that you would want to go into this game without than Tyron Matthew. And you mentioned it. I know the Browns are starting, you know, I've been this Browns guy for the past several years. The Browns are finally starting to get this national hype where everybody's picking them to upset the chiefs and they're getting like, people are picking them to be a super bowl contender. I've been there. All right. I I've been that guy for years and been mocked now so i think this game is going to be really tough this is a extremely talented football team that i think can go toe-to-toe with the chiefs in a lot of ways and it's a secondary that we are already concerned about so you take out the most important part of that secondary and you start to get a little bit worried about what's going to happen on sunday at arrowhead
2: that's the thing is you you take him out and suddenly now you're putting more corners onto the field because you know The the thing that is so unique about the Browns is that they've got weapons everywhere. They can go two running backs. They can go two or three tight ends deep. They can get four or five wide receivers out on the field at once, and they feel okay about their chances. There's a million different packages that they can go with, and that means that defensively, and the Chiefs are apt to do this because they've got a good defensive coordinator who's willing to play those matchups a little bit. They're going to have to match up with them. And the nice thing about having a guy like Tyron Matthew is he can do that. If you want him to defend a tight end, he can. If you want to play in the box, he can. If you want him to play in the nickel and go up against Jarvis Landry in this game, he could do that. You want him to play deep? All right, he's one of the best deep safeties in the league. He can line up anywhere, and he's so smart, and he's had so much film study that he's going to end up making plays as a result of all of those things. Now you take that chess piece off the board, and instead of having one guy that can fill, fill in all of those roles, now, you've got like four guys that might have to fit into those roles. You break up all of his different pieces of what he does as a player, and there's going to be some things that he does that Juan Thornhill's really good at, others that Daniel Sorensen has to replace. Maybe at times you're going to see Rashad Fenton in there. Like, there's so many different things that he does for this defense that now uh, your sub packages might look a little less unique, and they're not going to be able to be disguised the same way that they were previously. And that's something that Steve Spagnuolo takes a lot of pride in is their ability to disguise anything that they're doing. They make everything look the same. And Tyron Matthews, the guy that allows that to happen. And now you're without Tyron Matthew, potentially you're without Willie Gay in this one as well, which takes athleticism off of the field. And it sounds like based on the reports from this week, Frank Clark's going to be limited at best you're starting to lose out on some of those top end upper echelon talents that you have defensively. And when those start to add up a game that otherwise would have been close, and I still believe it's going to be now, it becomes almost a little bit of a coin flip, especially when the Browns have the football. So the chiefs have their work cut out for them. And the two guys, if I had to say these two guys need to step up for the chiefs to be able to overcome the loss of Tyron Matthew, if he is indeed out this week. I think the number one guy that I would have on that list is Juan Thornhill. It was a weird offseason for him. It continued into a weird training camp for him. He's got to be able to replace the majority of what you would typically get out of Tyron Matthew in this game. Number two on that list would be Chris Jones. And the reason that I say that is because if Frank Clark's limited, you're going to need a good pass rush in this game and you're going up against one of the conservative conservatively speaking five best offensive lines in the in football Chris Jones is your guy that can go out there and create a pass rush in and of himself so if you're able to get a pass rush out of Chris Jones and you're able to replace most of what Tyron Matthew would typically give you from Juan Thornhill you should be able to overcome it but it's going to take monstrous games out of both of those guys to be able to do it
1: I totally agree with you on both of those dudes. And obviously I want to see Juan Thornhill thrive and him become a, a key member of this defense, but yeah, it, it, it limits what the chiefs can do defensively. And the way we've seen that secondary be successful over the last couple of years is by doing a lot of exotic things and trying a lot of different things, you know, running three safeties and, and doing things that you don't see a ton of secondaries do but that's to overcompensate for the lack of cornerback play. Without Tyron Matthew, you know, all those Legereus Snead blitzes that were incredible last season that showed off his athleticism making plays and going after the quarterback. That's not going to work on Sunday if Tyron Matthew's not on the football field because he can't step into the slot when Legereus Snead goes on a blitz and, and cover that wide receiver. And it's going to seriously limit them. And They are lucky in the fact that, you know, the Browns aren't this high-flying passing attack or something like that. Like, you expect the Browns are going to run the football because that's what they're exceptional at. Uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are both exceptional running backs behind a fantastic offensive line. But one thing that Baker Mayfield is really good at, and you see this a lot with the quarterbacks that aren't necessarily elite, he excels at play-action passing and play-action passing deep. That's what he's good at. And they can free a lot of things up that way. And so you start to have serious question marks. And this was the problem headed into the season for the Chiefs. You question whether or not they needed to add another cornerback, whether they needed uh, to beef up that secondary a little bit, because it starts to get real hairy if something happens to Tyron Matthew. And thankfully, this isn't a serious injury. Uh, You know, you're not falling apart like, the Baltimore Ravens are right now their their week 2 opponent who keeps suffering huh. season ending injuries from players. Like th- he should be ready for that game. But yeah, this is this is a problem and we're seeing the lack of depth in the secondary show up immediately.
2: Yeah, and it it just makes things more difficult, right? It's about the margin for error. And the Chiefs because they have Patrick Mahomes and they have two of the best weapons in all of football with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And because you do have so many play- playmakers defensively, you have a pretty large margin for error in the vast majority of your games. It gets a little slimmer when you go up against one of the other top five teams in the AFC, and it gets even more slim when you're going to be without potentially three of your top five or so defensive players. And that's where things get a little bit more difficult for me. And the other thing, and you mentioned that the Browns are an extraordinary run offense. There's no question about it. They are. They're they're a run-first offense, and their passing game is off of that. Let's not forget they were without Odell Beckham for the vast majority of last season. And they were without the Odell Beckham for basically all of last year. He wasn't right mentally, physically, at, at any point last season. Every report coming from training camp, and we'll see. It, it, the proof is in whatever he does this year, but every report seems to indicate that Odell Beckham looks like himself again. And if that is the case, that passing game suddenly can become a little bit more lethal. Those play action passes that used to be seven yard in routes, dig routes by Jarvis Landry that would go for 12. Now it can be a 25 yard post route that's going over the top to Odell Beckham. And that is the concern that is where things could start going downhill quickly for this chiefs defense. I'm not predicting it. I think they're going to be all right. And they'll be able to make up for it. Cause they've got a great defense coordinator. And this isn't something that just popped up. They've known all week that it's possible. They'll be without both Willie gay and Tyron Matthew. They've known that now they've been able to game plan around it, but game planning is one thing going out there and executing is something different entirely. So it's going to be a really difficult test, and let's go ahead and get into our preview of this one, Serta. Do you want to? Let's start on the defensive side of the ball. since we're already kind of talking about that a little bit. Uh, one of the guys that I'm going to be looking for, and I mentioned him earlier, Nick Bolton, is really interesting to me in this one because, as you said, the Browns are a run-first offense. That's what they want to do. They're an ass-kicker team. They they want to go out there and grind this game to a halt and give 40 carries combined to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Well, that's the way that Nick Bolton wants to play. He's ready to go in a game like that. He's not great in a game where the offense wants to throw it all around, chuck it all across the yard 50 times, but if you want to go out there and play smash-mouth football, Nick Bolton's ready to go up there and beat you head-to-head. Head. It was also interesting to me to hear Steve Spagnolo this week mention that the thing that he's been impressed most with from Nick Bolton is the mental side of the game. That's really important because Steve Spagnolo is hesitant to start rookies in any capacity. Last year, he didn't want to put Willie Gay on the field because he didn't feel like he was ready mentally. Physically, he was there. He was probably their most talented linebacker last year. He just didn't have it mentally. If Nick Bolton's there, if he's got this defense down, he should be starting. On Sunday afternoon when they take the field against the Browns, because in this type of a matchup, he is a significantly better linebacker for the team they're going up against than Ben Neiman. So if he's there mentally and I don't know, but Steve Spagnola seems to indicate that he is he needs to be on the field for 60, 70 percent of the snaps on
1: Sunday. Why is Ben still ahead of him on the depth chart there? Like I understand that's unofficial, but those things are usually fairly accurate. And Spax was really complimentary of him in when he met with the media this week. Everybody's been complimentary of Nick Bolton. Like he should beat Ben Neiman out. You can't come into this game, especially if you have Tyron Matthew not going, they're going to that, that first offensive series of the Browns, Nick Chubb's going to just break off a 15 yard run. Where he mows Ben Neiman over it, and Spax has got to immediately all right. We gotta get Nick in there. Ben Ben, ben just doesn't belong on the football with these on the football field with these boys. Like, not this offensive line, not those running backs. Like, you wanna go against the Ravens running backs in week two? We can talk. When they might be trotting Le'Veon Bell out there after they just signed him to the practice squad. Not these guys, not Nick Bolton and not Kareem Hunt with that offensive line. Nick Bolton's gotta be. Huge for them this week. And I, I hope that he looks like it. You know, I, I hope that he is that that run-stuffing linebacker that the Chiefs have desperately needed for a long time now. Like they haven't had that guy. You know, Willie Gay is supposed to be the athletic one, the the pass coverage one, the guy that can fly sideline to sideline. Nick Bolton's supposed to be kind of more of like your anthony hitchens style of linebacker like you just know that guy is gonna clog the middle of the football field he's gonna give the run game fits and stuff like that and maybe i know i know you love anthony hitchens bk uh he, i know, don't know the, how he became my uh, guy but he somehow became the, my guy <laughs> yeah the the light-footed uh you know lightweight anthony. slim hitchens, and trim let's go slim and trim leaner than he's ever been in his life he better look it on Sunday uh, and hopefully it's going to be with Nick Bolton backing him up and hopefully the chiefs run defense actually looks pretty good. Uh, It's another situation where you kind of just hope that the chiefs put up a lot of points because they can make the Browns abandon the run game because the Browns in all likelihood, you would expect you're going to be able to run pretty well against the chiefs. I know the defensive lines beefed up and everything, but these linebackers are going to be a lot more important than we're giving credit to in this football game
2: yeah and so if you want to take a little pressure off of your linebackers in the running game one way to do so is by having a war daddy up front who can get after the passer on his own and that's Chris Jones like my number two player to watch in this game is Chris Jones because he is going to be playing a lot of defensive end this week Frank Clark is reportedly on a pitch count and We'll see where he's at, if he's anywhere near 100% going into this one. He has not practiced much in training camp at all, did not play really in the preseason. So he's working his way back. Chris Jones has been getting a ton of work at defensive end. He's looked excellent in the preseason. I know Pete Sweeney said that he likes him to potentially lead the league in sacks and win the defensive player of the year. I think that he's got a strong case for both of those things. We need to see it this week. This is the week when you do it because you're going up, as you, as we've both said a million times, against one of the best offensive lines in football. I mean, Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin are both awesome. They're really good tackles. And there is not going to be a whole lot of matchups that are more difficult for Chris Jones to win than this one this week because both of them are power tackles. Both of them win against guys typically like Chris Jones. So if he's able to do it against them, that portends in some really good things for the rest of the season for Chris Jones and his case to potentially lead the league in sacks, but they're going to need him. They they really haven't needed him like this in a long time. And if he's able to get it done, both against the passes we've been talking about and also setting the edge against the run, which previously was one of the big issues with having Chris Jones at defensive end, uh, that's going to go a long way for them defensively.
1: I mean, how much do we think Frank Clark on a snap count or even really healthy at this point is going to complement this defensive line. Like, do we still have any faith in Frank? Uh, Cause I, I, I'm curious about this. Cause like you still think like, well, Frank could still give you some good snaps, but like how long has it been since we've even seen Frank do that?
2: The the thing is Frank Clark's a good football player. I, I know he, he is really frustrating and he is definitely overpaid and the trade has not worked out the way that anybody expected it to. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I'm I'm not questioning any of those things, but he has 14 sacks over his last 26 regular season games. That's not nothing. And that's, that's basically averaging half a sack per game. That's not star level. You'd like to see more. You'd like to see closer to one sack per game. But if you're telling me my options are Mike Dana, who I like, but is very unproven or Frank Clark. Yeah, I'm going to take Frank Clark, who's stout against the run, sets a good edge, has the chance to contribute in the pass rush. He's disappointing, but he's still a good football player who I would like to have on my team. Just not at, you know, $25 million.
1: Yeah, not at not that kind of cash. Uh, now, there's no, even if Frank Clark doesn't play like, expectation is and you know Chris Jones has put some stuff out there about what his expectation is for the season and I feel like we're really hyping it up as fans and the Chiefs in general have been hyping it up and the preseason certainly didn't help either with Chris Jones just looking absolutely dominant with every snap that he took in the preseason like I don't think there's much excuse in this game if he moves to the outside and still struggles because if you want to be Aaron Donald and you want to be in that class and in that conversation, then you still go out and you eat. maybe you don't even get a sack. And you can say it's because of Frank Clark and Mike Dana struggling or, or whatever and Chiefs are down bodies on the defensive line. But Chris Jones just has to put pressure on Baker like Chris Jones has to just you have to notice him in this game like you have to notice him bothering the Browns offense and bothering Baker Mayfield at the very least. Like, even if you say, okay, he's not going to get a sack today. You just got to know that he's still a problem for that offensive line. That's when, if that's the case on Sunday, that's when I'll start saying, okay, Chris Jones, defensive player of the year, like defensive player of the year nominee, we're getting a whole nother level Chris Jones because I got to see it first. I know he's a special player. I know he's incredible, but I'm not ready to put him in the Aaron Donald category. Cause Aaron Donald's doing that with a lot of dudes. Like he, he, he hasn't had uh, a ton of other guys that are helping him look like he's the best defensive player in football, but he still does it every single year.
2: Yeah. And in this particular matchup, the guy you're going up against in Baker Mayfield is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when he is not pressured. And one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL when he is pressured as a rookie he completed 51% of his passes when he was under pressure. That went down to 46% in 2019. Last year, he was a a little below 45% completion percentage when he was pressured. He becomes terrible. Like he's worse than Sam Darnold when he's pressured. And he's basically Tom Brady when he's not pressured, statistically speaking. So if you're able to get pressure on him, he crumbles and this is a game that the Chiefs will win. If you're not able to get pressure on him and he's standing back there behind that offensive line that looks like a stone wall and he's throwing BBs to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, suddenly we're talking about a game that gets very concerning regardless of what the Chiefs offense is able to put up because this is one of the few offenses in the league that might be able to go close to -to toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. So yeah, they, they need a big game out of Chris Jones and what better performance, what better stage to do it than a game that is more or less a nationally televised football game on the week of their debut, uh, uh, for the season. So this is, this is the type of stage that Chris Jones typically enjoys and he needs to go out and show out.
1: And chiefs fans should be thrilled. Like if Chris Jones ruins this party for the Browns, cause this game It means a lot more for the Browns than it does for the Chiefs. Like, even if the Chiefs lose this football game, you're not coming out of it saying they aren't still Super Bowl contenders. This game means everything for the Browns right now because the expectations for them is that they can challenge for the AFC. They can challenge for a Super Bowl. And so if Chris Jones comes out and completely like single-handedly wrecks that i that would be incredible and i like the browns uh i i want to see them succeed and i want to see a good football game but i'd be pretty juiced if chris jones was the sole reason like just completely game wrecked this team that's supposed to be the second best team in the afc so let's say that doesn't happen let's let's say
2: that chris jones just had his typical half a sack performance where he looks pretty good gets a little bit of pressure but doesn't completely wreck the game for the browns offensive line what needs to happen is Lejarius need and mike hughes have to step up i mentioned earlier about how odell beckham has reportedly looked good in camp whoever is playing outside against odell beckham or donovan people's jones or rashard higgins who we saw last year in the playoff game had a pretty decent day against the chiefs whoever's out there they've got to be able to contain whatever it is that they're doing. And if you if that means Legereus Sneed stays outside more often because you feel like you can get away with somebody else being in the slot against Jarvis Landry, so be it. But you cannot allow those 80-yard touchdowns, the 50-yard over-the-top plays to those big-time playmakers on the outside. You can't allow that to be the thing that beats you. And the guys that are most likely to be containing them are LaJarius Need and Mike Hughes.
1: Yeah, it's especially if Tyron Matthew doesn't play in this game. Like there's been so much hype on LaJarius Need and it's so unfair like for where he was drafted. Like we just assume that uh late round draft picks just regularly turn into elite players he that come out and they can do what Lejarius Sneed did last season. And I'm not saying he's not a special player. I think he's got a chance to be a really special player, but we're talking about like probably if he becomes an elite cornerback, like what, like the lowest drafted cornerback since Richard Sherman to become like an elite playmaker for your secondary. Yeah. Pretty it's, high
2: up there for sure.
1: Yeah. Like we're putting a lot of pressure on him to be the guy. And that's, that's a thing too that worries me is like, Tyron Matthew, we know can be the guy like he's he's never not lived up to that hype during his time here in Kansas City. But Jerry still young, like he's still figuring out how to be that dude. And so if he's all of a sudden got all right, man, secondaries on your back today, you got to be the guy out there making plays. You got to be the guy out there that that shut helping shut this offensive down on, on that side of the ball. Yeah, I'm concerned about it. Uh, I think he's a special player. I think he can be an elite player for the Chiefs, but I think it's totally warranted to be concerned about this entire back half of that defense. If Tyron Matthew doesn't go in this game.
2: So two things, first of all, the the thing that just came to mind as you were talking, there is the communication that could be a, a concern going into this one, because we've seen with the front seven, when Anthony Hitchens is not in the game, there were games where they just didn't know where to line up, which is, strange to say, but it's true. When he's out there, he's basically a traffic cop. He's showing everybody where to go. He's communicating pre-snap, and he's the guy that gets everybody lined up, and there is a lot of value in that. On the back end, the same is true for Tyron Matthew. When he's out there, he's the guy that's making sure everything in the secondary is set before the snap, and if he sees something and he said, oh, that is not going to work for what we've got called, he'll switch out of it, and he'll make sure that everybody's in a better situation for the defense, when he's not out there, who then takes on that role? I I legitimately don't know the answer to that question. I would assume it's Daniel Sorensen because he's the guy that's been it's in the system gotta, the longest. It's got to be, Dan. It's got to be, uh, Dan. But I, I don't know. Can Dan do that? I, I legitimately don't know. So that's going to be something worth monitoring in this one as well. The other thing that I, I find interesting about this, man, I was thinking about this. I don't think they're going to do it. Would you consider shadowing Odell Beckham with Legereus Sneed? Because Legereus Sneed is by far your most athletic corner that's going to be able to match up with him. He can play inside and out. I I want no part of Charvarius Ward trying to go out there and defend one-on-one Odell Beckham. Every time that he's on him, it's got to be with with help over the top. I, I think I would give consideration to throwing Legereus Sneed on him, but... I don't think that's something that this team will do.
1: I don't think I would consider doing it. Um, I I just don't – I'm not there with Odell. You know, like like Odell is a special player. I, I totally acknowledge his talent. But coming off an injury, I understand the reports. He looks like he's as good as he's ever looked, you know, like when he was an elite playmaker with the New York Giants but we're a few years removed from that. Like we got a healthy season of Odell in Cleveland. That wasn't that good. And you, you could name all the other factors that you think played into that, but he was okay. He he was just an all right NFL wide receiver. So I don't think I'm going into this game thinking we have to stop Odell. Like he he's the guy that we have to be absolutely worried about in this passing attack. And maybe I'm totally wrong. And maybe he just goes nuts, I just don't think that I would give him that type of respect at this point in his career. Now, maybe that's on the table. Maybe Spags has mentioned, "Hey, Snead, you know, we might consider this if uh, he's given Ward some problems or something like that." I I just don't think that the Chiefs would be that worried about it because even if you know, Juan Thornhill's got to be out there. Like, I have more faith in Juan Thornhill's athleticism and coverage ability than anything else I've seen from his game right now. So I would hope that he's going to be able to, to help keep you safe over the top. And then I think that's also a disrespect to uh, a guy like Donovan Peoples Jones, who, who is a really talented young wide receiver for the Browns who I think can give if, teams. If some Don-
2: man, if Donovan Peoples Jones beats me in this game, like.
1: Yeah. You just, yeah. you just live with it. There's no, yeah. To do about it. I, but, I, like Landry, I, it's, you know, I I don't care about covering Landry. Like, everything's six yards with Jarvis Landry. He's a like, running well, let back. Him, let him eat that up all day. I don't care about that. That's not moving the football down the field. It's it, it, Odell and Peoples-Jones and Richard Higgins who are the guys that you got to worry about stretching the field.
2: That's my biggest thing, Serta, is my, my fear is you're going to get eaten up when they're in three wide receiver sets. You've got Jarvis Landry in the slot, Odell Beckham out wide, and whoever is on the other side just out there and you're going to have Legereus Sneed kicking inside in those situations where he's defending Jarvis Landry, I would much rather see whoever it is, Rashad Fenton, Hughes, whoever you want, Baker, whoever it is, kick inside and take that matchup against Jarvis Landry, and then have Legereus Sneed on the outside, even if I would put him on Odell Beckham, but whoever it is on that side, as opposed to keeping him in the slot, because I think he's, this is maybe a little bit insulting to Jarvis Landry, but I think Legereus needs athleticism against this particular team is almost wasted putting him on Jarvis Landry because you're right. All he does for the most part, he's good at it, but he's basically running seven yard in routes the entire game. And that's fine. There's value in that, but I'm not wasting my stud elite level talent at corner on a guy. That's just running the same route 700 times in a game. So that. That'd be the way that I would handle it. Obviously, Steve Spagnuolo has forgotten a million times more football than I will ever know. So I'm sure he has some kind of a plan for this game. But thinking it through a little bit, that's something that immediately came to mind was, OK, well, maybe Legereus Sneed on Odell or at least sticking outside in this particular matchup might make the most sense. They've talked about Chris Jones playing the matchups with him. I think I might play him with Legerious Sneed in this one as well.
1: He should absolutely be outside. I I totally agree with you on that. I don't think he necessarily needs to shadow, but yeah, he's got no business playing the slot Uh, and it's not because he's got no business covering Jarvis Landry. It's just because you let Jarvis do that to you all day. Let, let Jarvis have 12 catches for 87 yards. You can live with that all day long. Just don't let anybody go deep. He absolutely has to be on the outside.
2: All right, so let's go to the other side of the ball. The Chiefs offense, this is the one that has far fewer questions than the defense. This is really about upside, whereas the defense is about the the downside. What is the the floor for the defense versus the ceiling for the offense? The number one that I thing that I'm going to be looking for is the same thing, really, that we've been watching all preseason. It's the O-line, and less so the interior. This uh, kind of like what you were saying about luxurious need. This may be completely unfair what I'm doing here. I'm not worried about Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, or Trey Smith. I think they're going to be pretty good. And also, that's not really where the Cleveland Browns beat you. They beat you on the outside with Miles Garrett because he's an absolute monster. He looks like he flosses with children, and I don't want him going up and beating Orlando Brown Jr. or Lucas Nying. I don't need that in my life. So the number one thing that I'm watching for offensively how do Orlando Brown and Lucas Niang hold up in their first regular season action together against a monster pass rusher who legitimately has another case. We talked about it with Chris Jones. Miles Garrett has a case to be defensive player of the year this year, if things go well as well. So I I'm fascinated to see what that matchup looks like.
1: Just totally disrespecting Malik Jackson in the middle of that defensive line.
2: He's <laughs> fine, but kind of like other people's Joan. If he
1: beats me, then yeah. so be it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you do have to live with that. Uh, You know, we talked about it a lot in the preseason, BK, and you specifically on this show were really, really paying attention to those tackles and the individual snaps that we were seeing kind of play out. And then, you know, there was the storyline in training camp of like Orlando Brown just got torched in these one-on-ones today. And Lucas Niang was just getting, rolled over by chris jones as if any of that stuff matters i don't think you can expect this these tackles specifically to look like they're elite tackles like offensive line is difficult in the nfl who knew but it takes time for those guys to work as a unit because they do legitimately like you got to bank on the guy next to you doing his job and the guy after that and the guy after that. You got to know that those guys are going to are gonna help where they're supposed to help and do the things that they're supposed to do. And so I do think it's going to take a while. Like Miles Garrett, prior to getting COVID last year, and he said after he got COVID, he needed an inhaler, he needed oxygen on the sidelines and stuff like that. Like it really messed him up. Prior to that, he was the front runner for defensive player of the year. Like. We're talking about a dude who's got the case to be the best pass rusher in the NFL right now, and they move him around. He's not just coming from strictly one side. So I don't know if Clowney's going to be available in this game. He's already got something going on, and I don't even know if <laughs> Jadavian Clowney's good at this point. Like, It's I, so I, fitting. It's so fitting that Clowney and Frank Clark are, eh, we'll see. We're not
2: sure if they're gonna be at hundred percent for this first game. Who yeah, who could have possibly guessed that?
1: Yeah, like I have no idea if Jadavian Clowney's even good at football anymore, but we might find out on Sunday. And Miles Garrett is exceptional, though. And Miles Garrett's been doing it by himself in Cleveland for a minute already. So he doesn't really need Jadavian Clowney. I'm sure he'd like Jadavian Clowney to play, but Miles Garrett can have an impact in this game either way. And so, yeah, you got to be locked into those tackles. And I'm not necessarily convinced either one of these guys is like an elite tackle or anything like that. You just need him to not let Patrick Mahomes, like just lay him out. Like you just need him to not blow Patrick Mahomes up. Like just give him enough time to get the ball off. If he gets hit a couple of times, you don't love it, but you live with it.
2: And you know, it's going to happen because miles Garrett does it to everybody so you got to live with those. There there are going to be some hits on the quarterback. And the nice thing this year, Mahomes seemingly is healthy. And he's going to be able to run out of some of the pressure that he couldn't run away from last year when he was dealing with that turf toe. So that that will be helpful. He's going to be able to navigate the pocket a little bit more. But the number one thing to watch without question is those offensive tackles. Number two for me, we've read a lot this week, or there's been a lot of reporting, some – uh, murmurs, if you will, about the Chiefs opening up the offense in a way that they never have before. This is something that's very interesting to me, Serta. I think that we're going to see their running game utilized in a way that is completely different than what we had seen previously. Some of that is this new offensive line. A lot of it is the new offensive line. Some of it, I think, is stuff that Andy Reid has been wanting to do for years, and he's just now having the personnel to be able to get away with it. And some of it is just Clyde Edwards-Alaire hopefully being at or near 100% so they can utilize him in ways that they wanted to going into last season. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire is my number two guy to watch. I think there's a chance he has a really good game in this one. I think they want to get him involved. I think they're going to run a lot more power and counter and pulling schemes than we have seen in the past. And the other guy to kind of tag along in this I think Jarek McKinnon is somebody to watch. Those two running backs for the Chiefs, I think you're going to see them more involved in the passing game than we had seen for the vast majority of last season, especially once they get into the red zone. I'm very curious to see what they have schemed up for McKinnon. I think they've clearly got some kind of a package ready for him.
1: Yeah, I am curious to see how they utilize the running backs in this game. I don't think they're going to run the ball. Like, I, I do think this is going to be a passing game for them. And I, I think that you can pass on the Browns. Their, their defense is much improved. They made a bunch of free agent additions on top of the talent that they already had. So their secondary is going to be better. I think their defense is going to be a top 10 defense potentially. But I think the way you can still beat them is by passing on them but I do love McKinnon and Clyde and the question marks that we have about them in the passing game this season, because the chiefs, and this is like a long con from Andy, like the chiefs, you know, for several years, you could bank on the chiefs running back, having a a big role as a, a rusher and a passer being heavily involved in the passing game. And then Andy said, I got my homes. Now I can go an entire season Without caring about utilizing my running back as a pass catcher at all. And so now all these defenses are going to be looking at film from the preseason and from last year of the Chiefs never utilizing the backs that way or never doing it in a consistent fashion. And then Andy's going to come out here and just show us a bunch of stuff that we've never seen before. And so I feel like the Browns defense is just going to be like, wait, hang on, what? Why is Clyde and, and Jarek on the, on the field at the same time? Why, wait, why are both of them splitting out? What is going on? Like we're, I think we're going to see some of that stuff where these guys are heavily utilized in the passing game in a way that we're not really expecting.
2: I, I think there's every opportunity for that. I was also watching the Ole Miss game the other night. I, for anybody that is listening to this that hasn't seen it, go, tweet, go to Twitter and just search Ole Miss pass running back. And you're going to see a play that they ran where they're running back. It it was wild, man. It was almost like a pop pass to the running back over the top. It, it was a thing of beauty that I'm going to be legitimately surprised and disappointed if we don't see it from Andy Reid on Sunday. It feels like the exact type of play that Andy Reid would go out there and make because we always see new stuff from him, as you mentioned, in the opening weeks of an NFL season. I remember a few years ago now, I think it was the first First week with, uh, this was the final year of Alex Smith when they played against the Patriots. And the offense was like, hold on, what is this? What are we even witnessing right now? And it was because they had been studying Texas Tech all offseason. So they just brought a bunch of Texas Tech stuff into the game with them. So we're going to see something. There will be some kind of a wrinkle, both in the passing and the running game going into this one. And that brings us to our final player to watch on offense in this game. How about Patrick Mahomes? I enjoy watching him. He's really fun. And in the month of September, he's 10 and zero with 32 touchdowns and zero interceptions. What we were just talking about happens for a reason. It's because Patrick Mahomes is freaking unbelievable. He is Thanos. Nobody else can come up against him. He is the guy that ends the world. He is the crusher of all of your dreams. Patrick Mahomes in the month of September is completely unstoppable. And I Frankly, just can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see what he looks like in this offense at full health once again.
1: You got nothing for McColl or, or, or Defoe or any of these other wide receivers on, on Sunday? It's just we got to watch Mahomes.
2: Patrick Mahomes with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarek McKinnon is is going to be a lot of fun, and especially behind that new revamped offensive line. I can't wait.
1: I agree. It's, it's a lot more fun to just watch Patrick Mahomes than it is to like watch McColl and be frustrated because he might have a 65 yard touchdown in this game, but I guarantee there's going to be two or three times where you get real frustrated watching him, uh, run a route that looks like it's wrong or, or drops an easy pass or something like that. So yeah. And it's, you know, the last time we saw him play a regular season game, he was doing miraculous things, but he was doing miraculous things while he was trying to stay off of his back the entire time. And it was the worst career performance of his life. And it, it really didn't even feel like it had anything to do with him. Like he was doing everything he possibly could. So, yeah, I, I do think this week in this game, which is kind of shaping up to be the game of the week in a lot of ways that it's the one everybody's kind of talking about. Like these guys can be, this can be our AFC championship game that we're seeing in week one of the NFL season. It's, it's important. And I expect like nothing less like Patrick Mahomes in September is about as safe as a bet is anything in the NFL right now. So yeah, I mean, you just expect him to go out there and, and ball out and look like he's the best player in football. And, that's what you want to see and i think that's what you're going to get like even if it winds up being a close game and i hope it's a shootout personally um he's still going to come out on top in my mind like he he's still going to find a way to do what he's always done which is like you know never lose a game by du- double g- digits prior to that super bowl because he's just insane and doesn't even make sense
2: we're going to get to our game predictions here in just a minute um just a little bit of uh, info on this because you're right this has become kind of the game of the week even though it's not technically a primetime game according to the spread which takes into account a lot of the information on the betting market the Chiefs are getting about 65 percent of the bets so the public is very much behind the Chiefs but the line has actually moved towards the Browns it started out as a six point favorite for the Chiefs and now they're a five and a half point favorite at home Basically what that means for anybody that doesn't pay, to pay too much attention to gambling is the big money bets. So people that are going in and putting a hundred thousand dollars on one team to win with the spread or one team to cover the spread that's going on Cleveland right now. The sharps are putting their money on Cleveland, the public guys like me and Serta who will go to Vegas and put $5 on one team to win and hopefully double our money. That's the stuff that's going on the chiefs right now. So the, the really smart money Seems to be coming in on the Browns. We'll tell you where we're at, though, coming up here in just a minute. Let's play the game that, according to Ron Hughley, I can't confirm or deny, but according to Ron Hughley, it is sweeping the nation right now. Of course, I'm talking about certified or imposter. And our contestant this week is none other than, and I'm still not sure how to pronounce this gentleman's name. I apologize in advance. I think it's Mike Dana, but I hear everybody say Mike Dana as well. I can't, it's one of the two.
1: I don't think the chiefs know. Uh, I don't, I don't think the chiefs now to be honest. I've heard it both ways from the chiefs and from everyone in the media. We got to ask Mike sometimes. I have no idea.
2: This is why I went to McCall Hardman and asked him, okay, how do you pronounce your name? Because his coaches were saying me and it's McCall. So Mike Dana is what I'm going to call him for now. Mike Dana, is he certified or is he an imposter? up. Certi- where do you lean on this? He is a second year player. He had a solid season last year. He was a bit of a surprising pick because he didn't fit any of the typical thresholds in terms of his, his athletic testing and his measurables compared to what you would typically see from a Steve Spagnolo defensive end. He's shorter. He's wider than most of those guys. Had two and a half sacks last year. Is Mike Dana certified
1: or an imposter? I mean, I guess he's an imposter, and in, in, in my opinion, like I, it's, but I don't think that's really fair. Like Mike Davis is not a, a guy that we normally, you know, w- would put in uh, in this position. It is a player. I, I think he's a fine player. I think he's a rotational defensive lineman. Like a lot of guys are. Like he can come in and give you some good snaps here and there. It's not a guy you want starting week one against the top five offensive line. Uh, he, he reminds me, I think I even made this comparison on this podcast at one point. He reminds me of Raheem Nunez roaches, like, like nacho from a few years ago. And maybe I'm totally wrong. And maybe I'm totally whiffing on this. And I'm not even saying like, they remind me like in the way that they play. I'm just saying like, in terms of defensive line depth, like you had guys like that in the past on the chiefs who you could just bring in. Whenever and they might get a sack here or they, or they might make a play for you and, and give you some rotational snaps. That's the way that I think of him. So I guess he's an imposter, but I don't think it's really fair to call him an imposter because I just don't think he's a starter. Do you remember Vonnie Holiday from a, a long
2: time ago? He was on the Chiefs in yes. like 0304. You remember him defensive end? That's that's kind of who Mike Dana reminds me of a little bit. A guy that's going to get you five or six sacks pretty consistently he's gonna be a pretty solid member of your rotation Vonnie Holiday maybe was a little better and he was certainly a lot bigger he was like six five back in the day uh, Alan Bailey sure guys like that yeah. I, I think that's the kind of player where you're always like man I I kind of like that guy I, I'm, I'm glad he's on my football team I think he's certified because of that my version of certified like I I changed the The levels, right? The the, the level of being certified for uh, Tyron Matthew is a little different than the level of being certified for a Mike Dana. He's certified as a guy that if he is your third pass rusher, third defensive end going into any given season, I think you feel pretty good about that. And while he's on a rookie deal, you should feel great about it. He's the guy that is, he's part of the reason at least, as to why you don't have Taco Charlton on the roster right now why Tim Ward is not here right now. They trust Mike Dana in almost every situation. He's going to do the right thing. He's great at setting the edge against the run. He's a really solid player for Steve Spagnolo's defense. He does exactly what Spags wants him to. So I'm going with certified, although I'm not saying he's a superstar and I do not believe he will ever be one. I will say this. I mentioned earlier, I think Frank Clark's a good football player. I think you can get 80% of Frank Clark from Mike Dana next year.
1: Well, now I, now I feel like I disrespected him by calling him Nacho. I'm yeah. going to call him Alan Bailey. He's still an imposter though. I, I did see. feel like that
2: was, that was a little, a little insulting to him because okay. I like Rakeem kind of- N- Nunez
1: Roches. He's yeah. a
2: good player, but eh, not quite yeah. on the same level. Alan
1: Bailey. What was Alan's nickname? The Hulk or something? <laughs> yeah. That dude was a monster. God, that guy was insanely huge. massive. He was just never like that consistently good.
2: Fair, all fair. Okay, time for our predictions. Serta. you are going between your heart and your head on this one. You love the Cleveland Browns. That is your squad. You have been in on the Cleveland Browns for as long as I have known you. Who do you like in this week one matchup between the Chiefs and the Browns? And let's operate under the assumption here that Tyron Matthew is not playing. If if you're listening to this and Tyron Matthew is going to be in the lineup for the Chiefs, maybe that would change things. But as of today, it doesn't feel like that's going to be the case. So let's operate under the assumption that he's not out there.
1: Yeah, and I, yes, you're correct in saying I have been on the Browns for a long time. Uh, I think the Browns are truly the second best team in the AFC, but I've been honest leading up to this game and even before it, I still think the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football. I think the Chiefs have the best chance of any team in the AFC to go back to the Super Bowl. And I just don't think the Chiefs lose games like this, you know, early in the season, at home, home opener, coming off of a Super Bowl loss, especially. I, I love the Browns. I think the Browns are gonna be really, really good and really fun and good for football this season. I just don't think – I think they still got a step to take. But I think as important as this game is for the Browns, I think them just hanging with the Chiefs is just as – is almost as important as winning the football game for them. So I still think the Chiefs are going to win this game. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win 35-31. to I think it's going to be a shootout. I, I just can't pick the browns just yet i i gotta i need them i need them to prove to me they could truly hang with the team like the chiefs before i'm i'm 100 percent sold on them beating a team like the chiefs
2: is it september can you just confirm that for me is it, it september is right
1: now september
2: okay and patrick mahomes doesn't lose in september right he he plays pretty well in that month where he's 10 and 0 and has like 35 touchdowns and zero interceptions so far in his career. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and we'll go with the Chiefs on this one. Uh, I'm going to take them 34 to 27. I like the Chiefs to win straight up. I like them to cover the spread. I think this goes in the high scoring range, the way that Steven Serta just mentioned. I think this is a huge, huge, huge week for Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Clyde Edwards Alaire on the ground. I disagree with Serda a little bit. I actually do think the chiefs are going to run the ball a decent amount in this game. And it's going to surprise some people because I think they want to show off their new scheme offensively. I think that that has Andy Reid written all over it. He's going to want to come out there and be like, Hey, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing this year. You guys are impressed, aren't you? And that's the type of thing that he loves doing in week ones. I'm going with the chiefs 34 to 27 to pick up their first victory in route to 14 or 15 wins this season and the number one overall seed in the AFC. This is going to go a long way to doing that, by the way. You mentioned that it's a big game for the Browns because of the head-to-head. It's a big game for the Chiefs to get that number one seed. There's only one bye week now in the AFC playoffs. If you lose this game, they effectively have a two-game lead on you in the first week of the season. That's a big
1: game for the Kansas City Chiefs. But the chiefs still got the one seed last year and they slept walk through the entire regular season. So like I don't think it matters that much not for this. Team. It's a tough
2: schedule this year compared to what they had last year. Uh it it's a big game. It's a big game nonetheless. I can't wait to watch it. We're going to be here with you guys again next Friday morning, Show in BK on the Chiefs presented by Arrowhead Pride. I think I think next week Ron the Show Hughley will be back. I can't promise you, but I'm pretty sure he'll. I have no idea. For Stephen Serta, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys next week on show and BK on the Chief.